worthy of our honor. Amen. Tonight we're going to continue our series on possessing the promise. I don't want to take a whole long time tonight again talking about what it means to possess the promise. But possessing the promise has more to do with walking where God wants us to walk and less to do with how often we attend church. Possessing the promise has more to do with what happens in our personal life than it does what happens in our corporate life. And, and, and I want us to understand that as we begin to walk out this understanding that God has given us a promise and we begin to walk in that promise, there are some, even within the church, who are going to look at us and go, they're off their rocker. They're a little crazy. They're oddballs. They're different. They're strange. They're this. They're that. They're the other. But when we begin to walk in the promises of God, we begin to walk in the victories of God, we begin to walk in the powers of God, and we begin to make changes in our life like we talked about today, where we talked about building walls around our values, then all of a sudden people are going to look and say, how do you get the power? Why is it God's blessing you? And we can simply say, because we possess the promise. We are holding on to, we're in possession of, we own, we have, we have it in our being, the promise that God gave us. God didn't give us a promise so that we could look at it in a store window. God didn't give us a promise so we could read about it in a catalog. God gave us a promise so we could hold it in our hand. I'm a little nervous told Beth, Brian, and Rennie at lunch that when I laid these sermons out, I thought, wow, Sunday night's going to be tough. I didn't think Sunday morning was going to be tough. I'm a little afraid to preach. Um, uh, my toes hurt from this morning. I walked all over my own toes this morning. Uh Found it amazing. I preached about building a wall around my diet, and somebody was at the back door handing out cookies. I... <laughs> and everybody I pass that makes me nice, great food to eat kept going, we can't make that anymore. I'm like, well, as long as I do it in moderation. Tonight, I want to talk for a few minutes about possessing victory over the world. Now, we're going to talk about a few things specifically tonight. We're going to talk about uh, uh, our fear of the world and, our, and uh, the, the draw that the world seems to have on the church. Uh, but if we can conquer our and uh, uh, have victory over the world, it will change, it will cause us to not be worldly. One of our problems is we can't possess the victory, we can't possess the promise of a holy God and live a worldly life. It doesn't work. And, and so I want you to open your Bibles with me again tonight. This same passage of Scripture, Numbers 33, verse number 55. And it says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those who you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your grace and your peace. Lord, I pray that you allow me to preach your word under your anointing. Lord, let me speak directly into the hearts and lives of everyone who is here and everyone who hears this word through podcast or recording. Lord, I believe that you will have a word to share. 
Lord, get me out of the way and speak directly into the hearts and lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The scripture that I've read for every service starting says that if we don't drive out the enemies, they are going to become irritants to our eyes and thorns in our side. And when you read through the history of Israel, you find out that they failed to drive out the inhabitants of the land and they became irritants in their eyes and thorns in their side, we began to understand that if we do not utterly destroy the sins of our life, then we are destined to be troubled by that sin, to be hindered by that sin, both rubbing our eyes and feeling the pain in our side because we think that we can control our sin. I'm not here to preach about utterly destroying or, to, or killing people and driving people out. That was a different age, a different time. But I believe the concept that comes from this scripture is the same today when we look at our own lives, when we look at our emotions, when we look at our habits, when we look at the things that we allow into our life. We get saved, we feel God, but we tell God, I will come and serve you as long as I can bring with me the things I'm comfortable with. As long as I can hold on to the things that I want, I'll be okay. But the truth is, those things that you want is what irritates you. Those things that you want is what becomes an irritation to you, becomes a pain in your side, becomes a pain in your other places. We have got to know and got to understand that if we're going to possess the promise, and specifically, if we're going to possess victory over the world, we have to remove the world. We have to quit worrying about the world. When we look at the other verse that we've read every week, it says this in Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. It says, now, and Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, the Havites, the Perizzites, and the Gerasites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Tonight we're going to talk about two of them, the Hittites and the Gerasites. We're going to be talking about the world. We're going to be talking about the fear and the direction of the world. Can't we all just get along? We, we, we've come to a place that we think that if we would quit talking about holiness we would quit talking about sanctification as we talked at lunch today if we would quit talking about the baptism of the holy ghost then we could get along with more people we wouldn't be so strange we wouldn't be so odd we wouldn't be so different and we're afraid of what the world is going to do to us because we stand different I got news for you. When you stand up for God, you become a target. Why is it that Jesus would say, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake? He gives great reward to those who are persecuted. Why? Because he understands that when we stand for him, we become a target of persecution. But when we allow fear of the world to cause us to shut our mouth, we allow fear of other people to cause us not to tell the truth, then all of a sudden we get into a situation where we get a reputation. I've got a reputation. I've got a reputation that really only comes out when I preach. My wife doesn't agree with that, but I do. 
I got a reputation for being straightforward and direct. I, I never, I never do that one on one, right, Chris? Never. I, I, I'm never, I'm never direct one on one, am I, Corey? He just said I was a liar, and Sarah's giving me a dirty look. Let me tell you something. I've got a reputation for being direct. I got a reputation for saying what I think. And sometimes some people like that. Oh, we live in a Pentecostal church. This is the only, a Pentecostal church, the only church in the world that will have 14 people come up to me after this morning's sermon going, we need more of that. Why? Because I beat you up. I looked over at Rennie during the opening today. I said, I tell you what, that must be what happens when you beat up a church on Sunday morning. They come back punch drunk on Sunday night. Everybody cracking jokes and laughing. And We've got to get to a place that we're not afraid of the world. We got to get to a place that we quit worrying how is the world going to take this and we quit trying to figure out how that we can bring the world into the church. How that How that we can preach a message that's not offensive. It bothers me when people get up and say we're not going to say anything today that's going to offend you. Because every time Jesus spoke, he offended somebody. Now, the truth of the matter is, and I think we need to get this back into our heart and back into our mind. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with love and grace and mercy to the sinner. But to the church person, he offended them. And, and we, want, we want God to speak through our pastors to us things that are helpful and, and, and encouraging and happy. And then we want the pastor to yell and scream and holler at the sinner. Well, I got news for you. It's time we quit trying to be like the world and we start being separate from the world. Do you have a price? See here, here, here's the thing that happened. That the, the, uh, I got to go back here and look at my scripture so I can remember which one it was. It was the Haptites. They heard about the advancing army of Israel, and they decided they were going to do something about it. But they were afraid that they couldn't defeat them in a battle. So here's what they did. They went and gathered some bread that was moldy. They got some old bags, and they come dragging in. Joshua and the Israelite army says, where you come from? They go, we come from a long distance away. See how moldy our bread is and how tattered our bags are? Make a covenant with us that you won't fight against us as we're way a long way from home when really they were from the next town over. The Israelites said, okay, we'll make a treaty. We will make a deal with you. We will protect you only to find out within a couple of days that they had been deceived. Because of the commitment they made before God, they did not drive them out. They did not kill them. They did not destroy them because they had been deceived into selling their right. They had a price. Their price was, if I don't need to fight this fight right now, if it's going to be way down the road, I'll live with it. I'll make a deal with it. And then they find out that it's right here in their face. And they can't fight because they've made a deal. You know the problem we have? We make deals with the devil. And every time we make a deal with the devil, the devil has lied. The devil has lied. He has said, 
it's not for now. He has said it's not a big deal. But he has found our price. Some people make a deal with the devil to be popular. Some people make a deal with the devil to be rich. Some people make a deal with the devil to look religious. Yeah. Yeah. We forget to follow God and we follow ourselves. When you follow yourself, your nature, your nature comes from the evil one. We begin to realize that we're making deals with the devil that is costing us our promise. We can't fulfill what God has called because we have made deals with the enemy. Here's the problem. Every time you've made a deal, you've set a price. What is your price? What is it that you'll give up? Anything. For God or for the enemy. What is your price? Several years ago, Pastor Cutshaw, in his book, Conquering Canaan, he references this story. Several years ago, there was a movie out. And in the movie, the concept of the movie was that a man and his wife, that his wife would spend the night with a millionaire for a million dollars. For one night. When the movie came out, many talk show hosts and many people began to ask the question, would you do it? What's your price? Most people said, oh, no, 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 no. I know, no, not for a million, not for 10 million. But here's the problem. When you set a price, the devil will reach it. When you set a price, and you say, oh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't miss church except for that. Guess what happens every time church comes up? That. I would not miss my daily Bible reading except when I need to this. Every day this happens. I would not miss paying my tithe unless I had to do this. And every time it comes time to write a tithe check, you would have to do this. See, here's the problem. If you have a price, the devil will meet it. When I ask the question, as we're talking about the world, and I say, do you have a price? I'm giving you a warning. Because no matter what it is in your life, if you've got a price, if you've got a price, the devil's going to pay it. Some people's prices are way down low. Some people's prices are higher. But there comes a place that if we're going to have victory over the world, that instead of what our price tag is, we put up a sign in front of our life that says not for sale. Not for sale. It doesn't matter what you want to give me. It doesn't matter how much you have. It's not for sale. I, I, I remember when I had my last motorcycle. And, and I was riding it over to a church service in St. Joe. And I stopped in Cameron to get something to eat. And as I got off the bike, a trucker had pulled up. And he began to talk to me about my bike. Come to find out he was a biker. And he began to look at it. And I was telling him that, man, I got a great deal on it. I'm excited. I really like it. And he says, well, if you don't mind me asking, what would you pay for it? And I told him. He says, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll give you over 50% more than you paid for it right now. And I'll put it in the back of my truck and take it home. 
And I said, it's not for sale. Two months later, I sold it for way less than that. And I thought, man, I wish I'd have sold it that day. But at that moment, I made a decision that it didn't matter. He was offering me great income. That bike wasn't for sale. Can we say that about our life? Can I be honest? I try, I try to be gentle. The truth of the matter, most of us, our price is not great things. Our price is bad things. I will serve God. But if I get a disease, I can't do it anymore. My son and I talked this week, and and we, we talked back to when Beth was diagnosed with MS. And we cried the first three or four days, first week. She was diagnosed, I believe, on December the 27th, if I remember, 28th. On January the 1st of 2009, I've told you about our celebration at midnight. But we sat down as a family and we said, how are we going to deal with this? What we were saying is we've got to make a decision that we're not for sale. We're not not going to become mopers. We're not going to become whiners. We're not going to become complainers. We're not going to become all these other things. But we're going to find a way to deal with this. And in my family, in our family... I don't know if anybody's ever noticed. Occasionally, I can be a little sarcastic. I know that comes as a great revelation of surprise to most people. I'm just a little sarcastic. And some of you still remember my oldest son, Anthony, who makes me look like a novice at sarcasm. He's way more sarcastic than I am. And, And we decided that we were going to deal with this with humor. Beth then and many times since then says I would rather people laugh than go, oh, you want to get under my wife's skin. Began, began to just dote on her. Oh, can I, can I help you? Can I? Oh, she'll be like, I have to help her. And she goes, she would rather fall down all by herself. She said, I would rather people laugh than people moan and groan. I would rather see joy than sadness. So we decided that our victory and our joy was not for sale. You know what Anthony told me this week on the phone? He says, Dad, you don't understand. That conversation set my life in order. Because everything I am is because of that conversation. He said, I made a decision then that the humor... As warped as his humor is, that the humor was going to be his guide through his problems and through his situations and through his circumstances. And now he's found himself into the entertainment business right now behind the scenes, but he's done stuff in front of cameras. He does stand-up comedy, and all of that stuff is based off of the humor that was birthed the day we said we're not for sale. Our joy, our celebration is not for sale. Now, why do I tell that story? Because some of us, we sell out when times get tough. You know how I know that? Because we start going, I used to be a faithful believer, but now it's so hard. 
I used to go to church, but it's so hard to go to church. It's not too hard to go to Walmart. It's not too hard to go other places we want to go, but it's too hard to go to church. I just can't sit there, Pastor. But yet you can sit on a couch and watch TV for hours and hours and hours on end. Come on now. See, what happened is we sold out. We've decided to let the devil, through his illnesses, through his sicknesses, through the pains, we've sold out that we're not going to be a part of what we used to be a part of. But I'm telling you, we need to stand up and nail some signs in our heart's yard saying, I'm not for sale. It doesn't matter what happens, whether it's good or bad. I'm going to serve God. It doesn't matter what the future looks like. I'm going to serve God. The world can't defeat me. The world can't deceive me. I'm going to stand and I'm going to be a child of God. That last song we sing. Bill Gaither writes in the second verse, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy it brings. But greater still the calm assurance, listen to this, that this child can face uncertain days because he lives. You ever listen to that? He says, oh, it's great to have a kid. But what's greater than that is I don't know what's going to happen in his lifetime. That son that he wrote about is somewhere in the neighborhood of 40-plus years old now. That song was written somewhere in the 70s, I believe. And all of a sudden, the world has changed from the 70s to the 2018s. Knowledge now doubles every 12 to 18 months, I hear. Can you think back, most of us in this room can, some of you can't. Can you think back, do you remember 19, we'll just pick 1978. You think back to 1978, would you have ever imagined that you would carry a phone in your pocket? Would you have ever imagined, not only would you carry a phone in your pocket, but you would carry a computer in your pocket. The only time we ever saw a computer like that was on Star Trek. <laughs> Do you know that, no joke, you know the first flip phones were designed after the tricorders because they felt like people would buy them more because they looked like something they grew up seeing on Star Trek. That's why they started with flip phones. Could you imagine in 1978 that we would have cars that you can push a button and they will drive themselves? I don't have one, but they've got them. In 78, we were just getting used to pushing a button and it controlling the accelerator. 78, there were still some people who wouldn't engage the cruise control in the car because they were determined that that car was going to run off a bridge. I know. I was a kid. In 1978, could you have imagined, could you have imagined, judging what was on TV then, what we would allow to be on TV now? In 1978, could you imagine that it would be commonplace to turn on the TV and in the commercials alone see women in underwear? And men, for that matter. No, not back then. I got news for you. What's it going to be like 40 years from now? We have uncertain days ahead. Pastor, why, why are you bringing all this up? Because when Bill Gaither wrote that song, 
He says, I don't know what's coming. He had no idea the decadence. He had no idea the sin. He had no idea the greed. He had no idea the sensuality. He had no idea the things that were coming in society. But he understood that there's a calm assurance when you know that my child can make it because he lives. It may look bad, it may sound bad, it may get worse, but when we trust in God, he's going to carry us every step of the way. If we don't put up a sign in our yard that says not for sale, then the first time the devil attacks, we're going to give in. If we don't put up a sign in the yard that says not for sale, then the first time that the devil comes and gives us a hard time, we're going to run to the mountains. Every time I think about this, I think about the people that own a house in the middle of a development that somebody else is trying to buy out. And people tell them, you're crazy. The last person to own a house in the development gets the most money because they've held out the longest. But whenever we set a price, the old homestead's gone. And now that university is there or that mall is there or that highway is there. And we'll never get the old homestead back. When you sell out your spirit, the old power is gone. It may be replaced with kids' softball games and baseball games. It may be replaced with sickness. It may be replaced with a better job, but we'll never get back the fire if we sell it out. Somewhere we got to say it's not for sale. I'm not for sale. My faith is not for sale. I've got to stay grounded. I've got to understand that I cannot be deceived by the world. But I'm going to stand in victory. When we move on. From the Havtites to Gergeshites. The word Gergeshite is a word that means to turn around. One of our greatest problems that we face in possessing the promise is that we can't get our eyes off the past. Don't turn back. We, we began, sometimes it begins as a guilt thing. I wasn't any good. I don't deserve what God is doing. But we get our eyes on the past. Sometimes we become like the children of Israel who come out of Egypt in their bondage. And when they faced hard times in the wilderness, they said, why couldn't we just die in Egypt? Don't you remember how great Egypt was when we were slaves and they beat us and they made us work, but we got to eat? You know our problem with looking back? We never look back and see the right things. When we look back, we tend to see positives where there were negatives. Our memories tend to gloss over our pain. We see freedom where there was actually bondage. We see celebration where there was actually heartache. The good old days were not always as good as you remember them to be. I, I love it in the church world. I remember the good old days. 
the good old days were good old days because you were in you were experiencing the glory off of somebody else's commitment. Come on. Other people were spending hours and hours and hours in prayer. The reason we had shout down services is people were reading their Bibles. And now there's a generation where we just don't do that anymore. But we want what used to be. You can't have what used to be until you do what used to be done. Until you push the plate back and fast a few meals. Until until you put up some signs that say you're not for sale. And you rise up as a church. And you rise up with others. And you tell Come on now, I'm about to stomp on some toes. You tell the soccer coach that we don't play on Sundays. We don't practice on Wednesday nights. Okay. Well, you don't have to play then, okay. See, our problem is we'll sell out for that. We rise up and we tell Hollywood that we don't see those movies. We don't support those things. Glad I'm preaching this tonight and not last week. We stand up and with a voice we go and vote our morals, not our pocketbook. And we tell our government we're not giving in. But we look back. Well, it wasn't that bad. The sin we saw wasn't that bad. The things we endured wasn't that bad. And I didn't have to worry about all this other stuff. I didn't have to worry about living a holy life. I'm going to tell you, living a godly life ain't easy, folks. It doesn't come natural. And sometimes we look back and we think, if I could just go back to where I didn't have to think about it. I could go back where I could just slap some people in the head. If I could go back to where I didn't have to be responsible to be Christ-like. But I got news for you. What you're seeing, you're forgetting the heartache. You're forgetting the pain. You're forgetting the loneliness. You're forgetting the, the problems that sin brings physically, emotionally, spiritually. You're forgetting the nights you couldn't sleep. You're forgetting the relationships you were in and out of. You're forgetting the pain and the heartache of loneliness. Why? Because the devil paints a deceiving picture. But if we're not careful, we'll try to walk forward like this. I've done that before and walked into a pole. I've looked back and ran into people why? Because I was trying to live my life in the past. I was trying to live my life in yesterday. Yesterday, We've got to get to a place that we don't turn back. There is nothing in this world I want. I'm going to close with a story. When I pastored in Wilmington, Delaware, had a lady in our church, the mother of our church, Mary Del Rusa. Sister Rusa was a sweet lady that knew how at times to push your buttons. You know, just once in a while she would, I'll never forget, she got caught in the middle of a gossip ring one time. 
and it got serious. So the way the way things were going, it was possible it could wind up in court in another situation that she was connected to, and rumors had come out, and and I had to call this mother of my church, and what'd you say? Who told you? Her response was, well, I wouldn't want to say who told me. I said, well, you didn't mind saying what they said. I'll never forget it. I was in the car shaking, talking to her on the phone. Mother of my church, loved her dearly. Told her, I said, you better talk to the pastor who loves you because the next person going to ask you this question is going to be a judge in a courtroom. <gasps> pastor, I'm so sorry. We got through that. She was still growing like all of us. We all make mistakes. All of a sudden, she began to get ill. She wound up in a nursing home, and they're telling us that the days are numbered. Me and our treasurer go out to see her, and we take communion to her, and we do communion with her in the nursing home. And this lady who had always been strong, had always been a little tough. At one point, she was the treasurer. I don't know. Maybe she's you. I don't know. Anyway, she, she, she always, always had an answer. Man, she was you. Always had an answer for everything. Uh, uh, used to be the treasurer. Yeah, I know you did. She could tell you the stories. I bet you could say amen here. She could tell you the stories. Oh, Pastor, I remember the time I was a treasurer, and if the church didn't have the money, I'd write it out of my own account and pay the bill. And boy, she wouldn't let you forget that either. You knew that. And we sat down with her. We did communion. I knew that we were getting ready for a funeral. And Sister Rusa blew my mind. Because she said, Pastor, not much longer that I'm going to be on this world. She says, but I want you to know something. There is nothing in this world that I want. There's nothing in this world worth going back to. Everything I have in my life is worth going forward to. My grave, she said, is more appealing than anything I've left in my past. When I walked out of that room, I wrote those words down. There's nothing in the world I want to go back to. And that became the basis of her funeral sermon. Because our problem is we don't get that sight and we say, oh, I want what God has, but I want to hang on to that back there. But somewhere we got to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we got to say, as long as I can get closer to him, it doesn't matter what heartache, it doesn't matter what trial, it doesn't matter what victory, it doesn't matter if I go by way of the grave or the rapture, I understand that there is nothing behind me worth going back to. When we began to grab a vision of the power of God in front of us, rather than what we had behind us, we can begin to possess the promise. But our problem is, we want to grab both. You can't hold on to what the world has and reach out to what God has. There has to be a place. That you say, none of it's worth it. I want that. You can't hold on to what the church has and reach forward to what God has. You listen to me. Some of you, I don't grab a hold of the world. No, but you hold on to the church. You want to know the biggest signal that you're holding on to the church? Well, you ain't never done that before. You're holding on to the church. We're not reaching for Christ. Oh, but pastor, 
You were talking this morning how we got to separate ourselves. We got we to gotta protect ourselves. You're right. And as we reach to God, we're going to see that happens naturally. Our problem is we're trying to hold on to the world. We're turning back. But we got to turn our back on the world. We got to say no. The two nations that we talked about tonight, one of them comes with a deal. We can make this work. Somebody's going to tell you, maybe even inside the church, pastor's off his rocker. You don't have to be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You don't got to get so far into this God thing, you forget everything else. I got news for you, folks. I understand where they're coming from. But I'm going to tell you, if my mind is divided and I'm trying to make a deal with the enemy, I'm never going to get what God wants me to have. If I divide my time between what entertains me and what feeds me, I'm never going to get fed. The other nation is a challenge to turn back. And see what we had. Where we came from. How great it was back then. And God says you need to remember there's nothing back there. Your future is ahead. You can't possess the promise and live in the past. You've got to reach out. I don't care if your past is godly or ungodly. You've got to be reaching forward. I read the Bible through. Great, read it again. I've read it 30 times. Great, read it 31. Because I'm going to tell you, every time you read it, you're going to find something else. I pray every day. Great. Pray twice a day. Because every time we move to get closer to God, God moves to get closer to us. We keep wanting. Chris drives me batty. I'm just going to tell you. He absolutely drives me crazy. You know why? Pastor, I just want to get deeper. How deep we going, Chris? Look at me. Don't you ever let me keep you back from going deeper. See, I'm his pastor. He supports me. He supports my leadership. He submits himself to me. But even me, he can't let me hold him back. Because there's deeper places to go. There's deeper places to go. You don't know it all. Mike. You're one of the smartest men I know, but you don't even know it all. Don't say amen, Evelyn. <laughs> Evelyn's like, tell him again. <laughs> I, I, I tell everybody, I want to be Mike. I, Mike's one of those people, man. I, I want to be like him. Three, now, I like hanging out, ride with him in the truck, going to work things. I like to hear his stories. I like to hear his wisdom. There are times that we'll sit in men's Bible study, and sometimes on Wednesday night, I'll say something. I'll say, Mike, tell me if I'm wrong. Because I know that Mike knows. Mike studies, but he doesn't know it all. Jack Dale's not here right now. He's up taking care of his his mother and his father-in-law in Iowa. Man. You talk about somebody that's so, so smart, they're almost intimidating. Get around Jack Dale. I lived in his house for a while. He had more books and storage he didn't carry with him than I own. And he had read just about every one of them. You talk to Jack Dale, he can tell you what the Greek word for just about everything is. He is brilliant, but he doesn't know it all. 
keep digging, keep going. You know what makes people like Jack and, and, and Mike so special is that they haven't stopped trying. They haven't stopped reaching. Howard has done more things since he was 50 than I will do in my entire life. He's gone more places, done more things. He can tell you stories that will scare you, stories that will make you nervous, stories that will excite you. He can tell you God stories, man stories, gang stories. He can tell you all kinds of stories. He can tell you about waking up dead. It's fascinating to hear him tell the story. Sometimes I'm going, no, really. (laughs) Now, really. But you know what? You know what makes Howard special? He's still building stories. He's not living on what used to be. He's still moving forward. He's still moving forward. We've got to get our eyes fixed and say there's nothing in this world I want to go back to. There's nothing we're selling out to. We can have victory over the world when we take authority over the world. Satan, you can't make a deal with me. You can't entice me. You can't deceive me because my eyes are on Christ. This morning in praise and worship, I talked about Peter getting out of the boat. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk on the water. He could do the impossible. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, my favorite thing in the world, when he took his eyes off Jesus, the Bible says he saw the wind. Folks, you can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. Let me tell you something. You know what you know what that means to me? When he took his eyes off Jesus, he saw things he couldn't even see. He began to see things that wasn't able to see. But because his eyes wasn't fixed on his Savior, everything could catch his attention. When we fix our eyes on Christ and we tune out the world. I know i got to close, but I'm trying to get you this picture. When my wife and I got married, she walked down the aisle. She got to the front, and we stood like this for the 14-hour wedding ceremony (laughs) that we had scheduled Two preachers, four songs, communion, commissioning prayer into the ministry. Beth keeps going, it was you. I mean, she was raised Catholic, but I said, we're going to show them what a Pentecostal wedding can be. Only thing we did is we didn't get up and down. We stayed just as long as the Catholics do to to, to get us tied together, though. But once we got there, we locked eyes. I couldn't tell you one single solitary thing anybody said. Somehow I figured out when I was supposed to say I do. And the only thing I heard anybody say is you can kiss your wife. That's, that's the only. I knew when to say I do and I knew when to kiss her. That's all I knew. You know why? Because that whole time. Say, y'all know what she's doing. That whole time. We were looking at each other's eyes. Go ahead and look at me, honey. She won't even look at me. We were, we were locked in each other's eyes. It wasn't just her eyes twinkling that day. Mine were too. And everything else faded away. That's where we need to get with Christ. When you get to the place that you look so intently at Jesus 
that you don't see what's happening around you. When you look so intently at Jesus, the devil can do things around you and you don't even notice it. You know it is a proven fact? That if you're looking at something, things can change right in front of you and you'll never notice it. Brain games, that's the same thing I was thinking of. You know, that, that's how sleight of hand, quote unquote, magic tricks work. They get your attention on something so they can do something to make it look unreal. They trick your brain. Can I tell you, if we'll get our eyes on Jesus, it doesn't matter what the devil does around us because it doesn't affect us anymore. It doesn't affect us because our eyes are on him. Here's our problem. We put our eyes on Jesus Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But Monday afternoon, we see the person driving in front of us and don't know how to drive. Tuesday morning, we see that Walmart still doesn't know how to open check stands. They put in automated check stands and won't even open them. I... I have, I have, I have. Their latest, their latest foyer into annoying Pastor Tommy is they've got automated check stands that you can't use cash at. You can't use no cash there. Well, why can't we use cash here? Oh, we don't, that one doesn't work with cash. Got to wait longer to get one that works with cash. Wednesday morning. No, let's go to Wednesday night. You come to church and you look at Jesus, but you get mad because somebody doesn't do what you want them to do at church. Thursday. Your eyes are off Jesus because you don't want to get out of bed. And you're like, blah, blah, blah. it's one of those days. I don't know if anybody else ever has them. Beth has them. I, I don't. Those days that she just gets up and says, I'm going to be in a bad mood today. I think I'm just going to wear a suit and tie to church and yell at people all morning. All of a sudden. When we start taking our eyes off of Christ, everything the devil does comes to our attention. Everything the devil does. Because we put our eyes on our anger. We put our eyes on our impatience. We put our eyes on entertainment. We put our eyes on our lust. We put our eyes on our addiction. And now everything, we start seeing things we can't even see. Get your eyes back on Jesus. You defeat the world by walking with Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your power. Lord, I wish that I could push a button and cause people to look to you for everything. Lord, I wish I could push a button and cause me to look to you for everything. But I can't. I can't make us follow you. I, sometimes I struggle making myself follow you. But Lord, my request my prayer is that you so fill my sight that I don't even notice the offers that the devil makes. So fill my sight that I can't bear to turn my head to look back at what I used to be or where I used to, what I used to have. Let me see 
your face. Let me see your face in my Bible reading. Let me see your face in my prayer. Let me see your face in my worship. Let me follow your steps so that I can have victory over this world. Let this church become so engrossed in looking at you that they don't even notice what the world is doing around. That we keep our eyes locked on you. Our outreach comes as you direct our outreach. As you lead us, Lord, as we look to you, we begin to look as you. Lord, let us fix our eyes on your power on your anointing, and on your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Shake hands, be friendly, tell somebody you love them, everybody.